Father in heaven, we ask now that you would, you would bless us in the hearing of your word. Bless these words of scripture to change the way we live. Help us, Father, to make sense of what you're saying and make sense of how it connects to our lives. Father, help us to be attentive. We know, Lord, from your word that the unfolding of your words gives light and it imparts understanding to the simple. So we pray now for that light. Show us things we've never seen before. Show us things we've forgotten. Show us blind spots in our lives and warm us with your light. Warm us up, Lord. Give us the heat of your light to to be motivated to obey, to feel the grace and truth that you give when your word is preached. These things and more we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Titanic sank in icy waters of the North Atlantic Ocean on April 15, 1912. The engineers who built the ship, they assured this ship is unsinkable. That's what they said. They boasted about it. They said it was absolutely unsinkable. And at the beginning of her maiden voyage, one of the deckhands was asked whether the ship really was unsinkable. And he replied, God himself could not sink this ship. There was plenty to boast about. So if you wanted to boast about how fast the Titanic was, It was the fastest ship of its day, 1912. If you wanted to boast about how large it is, it was the largest of her time. If you wanted to boast about style and luxury, no expense had been spared. She had no equal. John Meekin wrote an article in 2002 called The Titanic Arrogance. And in this article, he details all the ways this boat was so stylish, so cutting edge. It appealed to the taste of the wealthy and everybody else in between on the boat. In his article, he said no expense had been spared. She had elevators, an elegant grand staircase, libraries, a swimming pool, a Turkish bath, a gymnasium. And we could go on and on and on. How is it that if you were about to ride on that cruise ship, imagine you had a ticket. How is it that you could keep your mouth from boasting to your friends and family that you were about to ride on that ship? I mean, nothing would hold, hold you back. It's human nature to boast in things that grand, that majestic, that you get to be a part of. Is there any lesson that could be learned to bridle boastful mouths before folks got on the Titanic? Well, I think there's a lesson that James Cameron actually gets at. James Cameron is the guy who, he's the director. 1998, the classic movie Titanic, he's the director of the movie. He said, here's the lesson of the entire movie, straight from the director's mouth. He said, the Titanic story teaches, above all the lesson, that life is uncertain. The future, unknowable, and the unthinkable, possible pretty good lesson. It's a biblical lesson. But what is it about human nature that causes us to boast if the future is so uncertain? If the future is uncertain, why do we boast? What is it? What's going on there? 
Those who boasted in the Titanic, they were no different than you and me, human beings. We may not be looking at a cruise ship like the Titanic when we make our great boasts. And we might not even say them out loud. You know when we often boast? It's when we look in the mirror. When we're getting ready in the morning, midday, evening. Whenever we're looking in the mirror. Whenever we look at our own life and we think about the desires and the expectations and the plans and the perceptions we have of what we think will happen. That's when we start to boast to ourselves, to our family, to friends, to others. That's when we boast. Maybe you've already boasted in some New Year's resolution that you're planning to make. Well, God's wisdom has something to say about human boastfulness. Have you ever thought about what does God think about boasting? Are we supposed to boast? If so, how do we do it? Are we not supposed to boast? When is it okay? God's word has something to tell us this morning, even for those of you who at this very moment would say, I'm not really a boastful person. I don't struggle with that. God's word has something even for you this morning. So I would invite you to turn with me. Turn to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27. This is found on page 548 of the Bibles under the seats in front of you. Proverbs 27. Some context before we read the first verse of this chapter. Proverbs was written by Solomon. He was the son of King David, and he became king in Israel as well. He was the wisest man to ever live apart from Jesus Christ. And Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. It's largely written by him. There's a few other Proverbs within it, not written by him but largely written by him. And his purpose was to impart wisdom to those who would receive these words, to awaken and cultivate a fear of the Lord, as it says in the intro of the book, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs then are written as these short, pithy, vivid, compact statements that contains so much truth and wisdom, you can feed on it and meditate on it and fold it into your life to cultivate fear of the Lord. These statements in Proverbs open us, open our eyes to spiritual reality. They clear away the fog of our illusions. They take off the rose-colored glasses of how we think life is, and they tell us how life really is under the fear of God. And they guide us in the complexities of life, in the routine avenues of life, all with the end of fearing God to glorify God. So let's read. Read with me. It's just 15 words in English. This is pretty short. Proverbs 27.1 Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. It's short enough. I want you to read it with me now. You ready? Let's read this out loud together. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. My prayer for us is that this verse would re-script our hearts. Not just now, but on into 2019, Lord willing, if God gives you uh, this year and more to come. 
Put your eyes back on that verse for a moment. Notice those two sections of the verse. So look, look in your Bible. Look at where the comma is placed in English. See that comma? It's right in the middle. It's helpful. It neatly divides the passage. So both in its original form and in English, this verse is made up of two parallel or complementary phrases. There's two sections. So the first half of the verse, we could call that part A. That's everything before the comma. And then after it, we could say that's the second half of the verse. That's part B. In part A, it's a warning, isn't it? Do you see that? Don't boast about tomorrow. It's a warning. It's a prohibition, a command, an instruction of warning. Part B is fascinating. It's a kindness of God because it carries forward the idea of part A. It grounds the logic and explains the logic. Parts A and parts B. And it's interesting because either half of the verse could stand alone by itself. Don't boast about tomorrow. That's a command. Obey. Do it. Live it. Or we could just be told, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Which might seem kind of strange to hear. What's the point of telling me that? But together, when they're brought together, it creates this powerful source of wisdom for our lives. It actually kind of forms this two-pronged anchor that can anchor your life to boast in the right way. The concept communicated here in Proverbs 27.1, it's the folly of placing our confidence in future time to come, claiming a knowledge that we don't actually have. This verse speaks to presuming upon time to come. Some of you who grew up in the country, you know this phrase well. Don't count your chickens before they hatch, right? That's pretty close. It gets at the idea of this verse. There's two halves to this verse. So it only seems natural that if we're going to spend some time considering it this morning, there'd be two points to a sermon about it. So there's two points to this sermon with each half of the verse. So part A, that first half of the verse, the main idea is this. Consider God's warning. Consider God's warning. Second main point, consider God's kindness. Consider God's kindness. So point number one, consider God's warning. What kind of warning is this? What would the Bible have to say about it? And how would it look if we neglect it? And how would we apply it to our life? So we want to look at some of these. So look with me again at the first half, part A, those five words, five words in English. Do not boast about tomorrow. The Oxford Dictionary defines to boast as to talk with excessive pride, self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. In the Bible, though, it's more than even talking out loud. We are guilty of this. We boast about tomorrow, where we'll go. We boast about tomorrow, what we're going to do, some activity or accomplishment. We boast about what we think will happen and flaunt our knowledge. Boasting is as normal as breathing, but it's as subtle as breathing too. The type of boasting in this verse, it's not boasting of the past. Notice, it's a boasting of the future. If we were to make a literal wooden translation of this verse, the word day would appear 
part A and part B of the verse. So look, look again at the verse. Second half of the verse mentions the word day. The first half just mentions the word tomorrow, which implies a day. But in the original language, it would read something like this, the first half of the verse. Do not boast in a day. That's, that's how it sounds. Don't boast in a day. And then there's this little word that modifies that says any future time. So in English, we just combine future time and day, and we just say tomorrow. But if we're not careful, we might miss the fact that it's not just tomorrow. It's any future moment. So yeah, tomorrow, two days from now. Don't boast about it. But we could take that further, two decades from now. Or we could actually bring it to a near future. Don't boast about two hours from now. Don't even boast about two minutes from now. Because it's the future, it hasn't happened yet, therefore, it hasn't happened yet. That's the prohibition here, the warning. Don't boast about it. As I was thinking about this verse this week preparing, uh, I was thinking, how does our culture boast? Where does boasting about tomorrow show up? And it showed up right in front of my eyes as I was reading Beauty and the Beast with my daughter, Eleanor. You remember where boasting shows up in that story? Belle, obviously, she meets that beast, right? You know the story. The beast turns into a prince. There's this other beast of a man earlier in the book, Gaston. Remember how he boasts of tomorrow? He boasts out loud, I'm going to marry Belle. And he gets a band, strikes up a band. He has the band ready right outside the house. He puts on really fine clothing. He hasn't even proposed to her yet. And he says, I'm going to marry her. And he hasn't even proposed. And he goes in the house. Needless to say, he falls out of the house into the mud, and the band strikes up playing because they think that's the cue. It's such a foolish thing. You know how the rest of the story goes, Beauty and the Beast. But even right there in a children's book, we see the folly of boasting of tomorrow. Characters, even... For children's stories are made fun of for boasting of tomorrow. We can see how foolish it is. And if it's so foolish, why do we do it? Other people can see how foolish it is, but we're often blind when we do it. When we brag and claim to know something about the immediate or far-off future, the reason we brag about it is because it's meant to position us in a sense of advantage puts the spotlight on our perception. It shows we're not the victim of circumstance. We, we think we know what's going to happen. It lets us feel better about our thinking. And it puts us in this position of, of physical gain or emotional gain, financial gain, or at least just the gain of our own pride. It's typically what happens when we boast. And whenever we boast apart from the Lord, we're actually setting ourselves up to sin. We often miss that. I want to show you from Scripture why boasting is sinful, and it's a temptation that we're never above. Sure, a college student might boast of what their major is going to be and what they're going to do after in a career. But a grandparent might boast of a grandchild and what their future is going to be. At every season of life, there are new temptations to boast about, and so we're never above this temptation. Do you believe that? Seriously. Do you believe that 
there's a point in which you can be above boasting. You can be spiritual enough to where you're just above it. It's not a temptation. James tells us we're never above it. James 3, 2 and 5. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The Bible has many categories for boasting. I think it's best summarized in Jeremiah 9.24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Well, what is there left to boast in? But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And even the New Testament would summarize it this way in the final verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So as Christians, we understand that The Bible is commending a type of boast in the Lord, but not outside of the Lord. To boast in Creator, not in anything that's creature or created. Therefore, when Proverbs 27.1 gives this warning, do not boast about tomorrow, this warning is tapping into the biblical precedent that boasting outside the Lord's will is sinful. It competes against His glory. Consider why it's so sinful, though. Isn't it true that that lies tend to ride on the back of boasts? Remember the first boast that shows up in the Bible? Genesis 3, the serpent with Adam and Eve in the garden. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. That's a boast of what's about to happen in future time. Outside of the Lord. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What a boast of tomorrow that that mixes some truth and some lies all together and jumbles it up. That's the way we boast. God's warning here in Proverbs 27.1 keeps us from imaging the serpent, keeps us from boasting. But we like to boast. Our culture likes to boast. We're made in God's image. God knows the future. We don't, but we like to step over the boundaries and claim we know what's going to happen, forgetting our limits. We could go all over the Scriptures and detail this. Let's just stay in Genesis for a moment. So after Genesis 3, here's, here's a few ways in Genesis that boasting shows up. And I want you to notice how we can boast together as a group We can boast just between persons, maybe between a husband and a wife, between close friends, or we can even boast when no one's else around. Look at this. Turn with me to Genesis 11. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. The Tower of Babel. Look at Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. Boasting of tomorrow, they said in verse 3, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, 
And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Oh, the difference a day makes. Their plans were halted by the Lord. He made them babblers. He scrambled their boastful mouths into different languages. Or we could go on into the next chapter there. Genesis 12. Abram boasts of tomorrow to his wife about their journey into Egypt. That he knows what's going to happen. He says, I know you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Oh, the difference a day makes when they get there and Abram's rebuked. Because things don't play out as he predicted. He's rebuked and they prove more virtuous than he is. Or we could even go to Genesis 18 where Sarah boasts of tomorrow. In Genesis 18. It says there, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm old and My Lord is old. I'm worn out. Shall I have pleasure? Her boasts about tomorrow were based upon her age and her physical constitution. And they caused her to deny the promise of childbearing in a private, internal laughter that she thought nobody else would pay attention to. But oh, the difference a day makes when a year later, a son is given in her old age. And this is just in Genesis. We could go all over the Scriptures detailing accounts of this. What we boast in reveals what our confidence is placed in. What we boast in reveals what our confidence is placed in. These examples in Genesis show that. But consider how in all those examples what they boasted of didn't come true. You might think, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I boast about something and it comes true, what's wrong with that? Sure, I'll give it to you, preacher. If I boast about it, it doesn't come true, that's a lie. Satan is the father of lies, sure, that's a lie, that's sinful. But if it comes true, what's the big deal? So think with me about the image of a a casino table. Blackjack, Texas Hold'em. Whether you've played poker, whether you've gambled, whether you've been to Las Vegas or seen it on TV or movies or just heard about it, just picture, picture a blackjack table or Texas Hold'em, something like that. It's a great image for what boasting is, is it not? Every boast we make in life outside the Lord is like we're putting chips on the table, making our wager. And if it doesn't come true, we lie. We embarrass ourselves. We're tempted to then make excuses to shift blame, but we lie. And made in God's image, that's sinful because God never lies. More than that, it cheapens our words, damages the integrity of our words. We've made the bet and we've lost. But that casino imagery is helpful because if if we make the bet, we go all in on something, and it comes true, if we, do, if we boast in that way outside the Lord, you know what we've just done? We've just created this deadly positive reinforcement for our pride. We're now going to take our earnings and our praise and our winnings, and we're going to cash them in again and make more boasts. And even if the boast comes true, if we're boasting outside the Lord, who's getting the glory and the praise? We are. 
So if it goes wrongly, we lie. If it goes true, we set ourselves in rebellion against a holy God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be boasting outside the Lord. I'm either misrepresenting Him or being an enemy of Him when I do it, no matter how it turns out. Boasting is serious. But in our present lives, we often miss how we boast. How is it that we boast? How do we boast? A few things that come to mind. We could do it at a church level. You know the old saying, how it goes, how churches boast, right? They boast in the three B's. Budgets, buildings, and bottoms in the seats. And churches are prone to boast about that, of what they're planning for. But that's not a good measure of spiritual vitality in a church, much less faithfulness and health in a church. There's a lot of other things that mark the health of a church. And I'm thankful to God that those things mark our congregation in many ways. Biblical membership, genuine conversions, fruitful discipleship, valuing missions work, contributing giving to missions, having a loving, warm congregation that loves one another, serves one another, that loves their neighbors through evangelism. A church that preaches the word and rightly guards the word and the ordinances. I mean, there's so many other indicators of faithfulness and health than boasting in other things. But even as churches are prone to boast, individuals are. And this is the sweet spot of this verse because it's aimed primarily at individuals. So we know how the weatherman could apply this verse, right? Don't boast about tomorrow. It's obvious. We also know a political candidate would do well to take this verse and live it out. But if you're not a weatherman, you're not a political candidate, how might you be boasting even now and not even be aware of it? Well, as I mentioned earlier, parents and grandparents tend to boast about the future of what, of what children and grandchildren will do or boast of what's going to happen later in retirement. But I think often as Christians, we boast positively. We think it's in the Lord, but it's really outside the Lord. We boast positively of what we're going to do for the Lord. So we might boast of a mission trip we're going to go on tomorrow or a conference we're about to go to. Or we might boast of, if I can just give this book to this person, it's going to change them. We make boasts of what's going to happen. Or negatively, we boast of what people will or won't find out about the future. We boast to ourselves of secret sin. Have you ever thought about when you give in to temptation and you boast to yourself that God will forgive you tomorrow? You're boasting in a future opportunity to repent? That's foolish. It's presuming on God. Fools think they know what's going to happen tomorrow. They think they know the future and can control the future. But the future is held by our sovereign God. As Proverbs 16.1 tells us, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then in verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And one other thought before we turn to the second half of the verse. 
There's a silent way that you and I are tempted to boast in every season of our life that often isn't labeled boasting. And that is procrastination. We make silent boasts with our actions. Procrastination. Jonathan Edwards, in December of 1734, wrote about the preciousness of time, and he was writing about Ephesians, make the best use of time. And then he turned his thoughts over to Proverbs 27.1, this verse today that we're looking at. And he wrote this treatise called Procrastination, the sin and folly of depending on future time. And he said this, quote, It is absurd for men to boast of that which is not theirs. He that boasts of tomorrow acts as though he had tomorrow in his possession and had something whereby he might depend upon it and call it his own. Brothers and sisters, procrastinating on something is a form of boasting in tomorrow, claiming I'm going to have time tomorrow to work on it. If you have time today, work on it today. Don't silently boast to yourself that you have tomorrow. And the worst type of procrastination of all is procrastinating on the gospel offer. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how good you are at accomplishing things early or getting them done, you're procrastinating on the gospel offer. That's only good news if it gets to you in time. If you don't know Jesus Christ, ask yourself this morning, what is it that I boast in if you don't think you're a boaster, ask other people, what does my life seem to boast about and glory in? If it's not in the Lord, do you think you're boasting in something better? What could be better than God himself? What could be more stable and secure? Have you ever thought about what you're building your life upon and boasting in? How fragile it is. Have you ever thought about God will judge you one day for boasting outside of Him. God tells us that even though we're made in His image, all of us have rebelled against Him. All of us. We've sinned. We've fallen short of His glory. We've told lies. We've boasted. We've boasted in things that have come true and boasted even more about them then. We've set ourselves in rebellion against Him. There's a separation between you and God. Every person who's ever lived But because God is loving, He has provided a way for you to know Him. Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life, unblemished by boasting outside the Lord. A perfect life, and He willingly put Himself forward to die on a cross, a bloody Roman cross. He was put in the grave, and a bunch of boasts started happening. That's not the Messiah That can't be a savior of the world. He's dead. People boasted, let's just look for another one tomorrow. Oh, the difference a day makes when he rose from the grave. He vindicated the truth of what he said and what he did and who he is. And he rose again to the right hand of the Father. He's reigning now. And he offers salvation to every person that would turn their boast away from themselves and boast in the Lord of His salvation. 
If you turn away from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ, putting your faith, trust, reliance on Him, you can be saved from the wrath of God. It's so beautiful how God designed salvation. As Ephesians 2.9 says, it's not a work that we do, lest anyone should boast in His presence. Boasting is serious to God. He wants you to boast. You are made to boast, but to boast in Him. So how is it? How can we boast in the right way? Well, that's the second half of the verse. Put your eyes back on the verse. Proverbs 27.1. How can we boast in the right way? It's right there. This is, this is a way to cultivate right boasting. Part B. You do not know what a day may bring. There is a person who does know, God. So this verse is a kindness of God because it immediately lays before us You could boast in me, which is a surety, or you could boast in tomorrow, but you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. It's a beautiful verse. The Bible equips us for the warning that was given in part A. This part in part B equips us how to live it out. Think for a moment with me about this language of bring forth. Doesn't it sound kind of like birth when a woman brings forth a child. That's what the original language was getting at. The same word for birth in Hebrew is the word here for bring forth. The original hearers would have connected their minds immediately to the pregnancy language. There's some commentators who wrote on this this verse and they said, circumstances and events are called by the Hebrews sons of time. Time brings them forth as a pregnant woman knows not whether her child will be male or female, living or dead. Just as human beings are limited in knowing what the birth of a child would bring about for centuries, all the way up until today, now we think we know exactly what's going to happen. Boy or girl, well, how the health is going to be. In the ancient world, birth is a perfect metaphor and picture of what any future time is going to be like because they didn't know. They didn't know what that birth would be, a time of celebration, new life, or rejoicing at a stillbirth. They didn't know. I like how Matthew Henry said, What event may be in the teeming womb of time? It is a secret till it is born. A little time may produce considerable changes, yet it's something we think little of. God has wisely kept us in the dark of future events. So two reasons that I think part B of this verse equips us to live out the warning in part A. Two reasons. Number one, it reminds us of our limits as human beings. It reminds us of our limits. Who is it who doesn't know what tomorrow's going to bring? What's the three-letter word there in part B? You. You and me. So let's read this verse out loud again together, but here's what we're going to do. Put your name at the beginning of the verse and put your name in the place of the word you. Let me model it for a moment. Taylor, do not boast about tomorrow, for Taylor does not know what a day may bring. All right, now you try. We're going to say it out loud. Put your name at the beginning and in the you of the verse. You ready? Here we go. Taylor, do not boast about tomorrow, for Taylor does not know what a day may bring. 
here's where it gets fun. Turn to somebody next to you, and I want you to now say their name to their face. They're going to be saying another name to your face, so I might get a little... All right, you ready? Here we go. Taylor, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Okay. It brings it home, does it not? So not you, not your friend, not who you're sitting next to, not your sweet grandmother, not your aunt, uncle, no one in your family, not your pastors, not the people you listen to on TV, not the people you hear on your devices during the week. No one knows what tomorrow will bring. It reminds us of our human limitation. But... The challenge is, the air that we breathe is that we know what tomorrow's going to bring. The, the weather forecast, we have precise technology that knows the path of a storm. The medical technology to see the features of an unborn child. The fact that we can pull out a device and type in any question and Google it and get an answer. We think that we know what tomorrow's going to bring. We think that we know answers to any questions we've got. It's hard for us to be reminded of our limits as finite creatures, but this verse does it. It says, you do not know what tomorrow may bring. I remember when we were moving to Texas, it's been a blessed year in Texas, and we we were coming to Texas, my family, there were so many unknowns, I didn't know what tomorrow would bring but I thought I could control it. So you know what I did? From the comfort of my own living room on the World Wide Web, I clicked and signed up for the Austin Capital 10K. It's a 10K race, downtown Austin, happens in April. And I remember boasting to my family, I'm going to run in this race, and I'm going to train and get ready. I remember boasting to my wife. I remember going so far as to not be content with the T-shirt that would be given after I finished, But I went ahead and bought one of those training t-shirts so I could run and train and have it prominently on my chest as I ran. Uh, Many of you have not seen that shirt because I only wear it at home. The day, actually it was two days before the race, uh, powerful pain in my upper jaw. I had to have a root canal. There's no way I'm running in that race. How foolish to boast of tomorrow. For me, it was that race. What is it for you? Consider our frailty, the unforeseen consequences, the difference a day brings. All it takes is one toothache, one migraine, one stomach bug, one virus, one trip down the stairs, one accident, one well-intended but mistaken action, one error, one person running late, one car wreck, one natural weather event. All it takes is one phone call one change of a person's mind. All it takes is one word from someone else and the result, plans and expectations change. Dreams can be shattered. Hopes can be dashed. Things don't play out as you hoped. Or the reverse, things could go better than you hoped. So whether it's the stock market or your personal health, do not boast in tomorrow. The Bible tells us the the life of Joseph in Genesis. You remember, one day he's in prison, even before that. One day he's doing fine, the next day he's in a pit. One day he's in prison, the very next day he's exalted to royalty. 
in Egypt. Number two in command. So things went from really bad to great in just one day. But the opposite can be true too. The book of Job, he's doing wonderful. He has wealth, flocks, herds, family, prestige, reputation. And in one day, it's all stripped away from him. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Know your limits. You are not God. This verse fuels our thinking to reverence God and know our limits. It says you do not know God there in part B, but someone does know God. So that's the second reason. This verse is a kindness because it invites us to consider God, consider his character, to honor his omniscience. So the quality of God knowing all things is that word theologians like to use, omniscience. It just means all-knowing. That's all it means. If we were to put a definition on it, we could say, God fully knows himself in all things, actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. So a day might bring new and different things to us that we could have never imagined, but for God, doesn't tell him anything new that he doesn't already know. As Christians, we understand how precious and strengthening this doctrine is of omniscience. God has no beginning, no end. He fills all of time. Therefore, he sees all of time with equal vividness and high definition. God knows all things past, present, future with a precision and an unblemished accuracy. No uncertainty in God. He perfectly knows the past. We know that Psalm 90, 2 and 4. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth, and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or a watch in the night and he perfectly knows the future tomorrow near and far Psalm 139 verse 4 even before a word is on my tongue behold O Lord you guess at what it might be you have a hunch no Before a word is on my tongue, you, O Lord, know it altogether. Isaiah 42.9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. His fullness, His power, His authority, God is Lord of time. He is Lord of time. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Theologians in the past often use the example to describe God's transcendence over time and his workings in it and through it, his knowledge of it, as somebody sitting up on a high steeple, a vantage point, as they watch a parade go by. They see exactly what's happening in front of them. They hear it. They experience it. But they know what's coming. They know what's gone past. At any given moment, they see the entirety of everything at once and yet can make distinctions between past, present, future. It's breathtaking to think God has that knowledge. But not just past, present, future, but even details, high detail, microscopic stuff. So God sees the trees just like you and I see the trees. And he sees beyond the trees into the photosynthesis happening in that tree. He sees that. He knows that. And then he sees grand motion of objects like planes flying in the sky, and bigger than that, planets moving in orbit, galaxies, 
Small, big, God sees it all. It's breathtaking. He's powerful. Romans 11.35 Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? God is the Lord of time. Some would attack this doctrine. It's called open theism. If somebody attacks it, God doesn't know the future. If you're interested in this topic and you want to learn more, go online, type in Bruce Ware, B-R-U-C-E, Bruce Ware, W-A-R-E. Type in Bruce Ware, open theism. Beautiful arguments given by Bruce Ware that crush the idea of open theism. Completely crushes that modern notion that God doesn't know the future perfectly. So let's close this morning with just a few ways. How can we apply this to our own life? If we see how great God is, how limited we are, how can we think about tomorrow and not boast? A few ways. We'll close with these. Number one, boast only in certainties based on God's word. So Christ's life, death, resurrection, his reign, his return, the gospel, principles of the Old and New Testament, anything dealing with God's Word, that's surety, that's confidence, that's trust. Number two, plan for tomorrow, but do it prayerfully. Plan for tomorrow prayerfully. Something physical you can do with your hands when you pray. If you're praying about the future salvation of a child or a trip you want to go on, is to pray to the Lord with your fists closed, and as you pray for it, open your hands Lord, I can't control this or make it happen. I hope for it. I long for it. I ask you to work, but it's in your hands. It's just a physical reminder not to boast in it as if it's yours and you hold on to it and you make it happen. Plan for tomorrow prayerfully. Pray open-handedly. And I might add, those who use this verse as an excuse not to plan, well, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't need to plan anything at all. That's an overextension of this verse. Proverbs would tell us already in chapter 6 that the ant is considered wise because she stores up and gathers before she's in need. In Proverbs 10, it talks about the prudent son who, who gathers up. So don't overextend this verse as a reason not to plan for things, but don't use this verse to plan things so tightly and packed full that you haven't thought about, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So plan with some margin. Plan with margin. If you've got four hours to do yard work, plan three hours of yard work. You don't know what's going to happen. Plan with margin. It's one way to incorporate this verse. Another way would be number three, don't procrastinate. We've talked about that. That's a silent boasting and a reliance of tomorrow. Number four, change your casual speech to fit with the verses that Weston read for us earlier in the service, James 4, 15 and 17. Those who say, today or tomorrow we're going to do this or that, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Number five, meditate on part B of this verse until it awakens amazement at your routine things. If you have a a coffee conversation with somebody tomorrow or planned for this coming week, 
don't presume to know what's going to happen in that conversation. Even if it's a good friend or family member, you don't know what tomorrow may bring. They may share something with you that you have never imagined they're going to share with you. Consider the wonder it could bring into evangelistic conversations. Consider how, at times, we are apathetic, maybe even suicidal, because we negatively boast, I know things can't get any better than this. I know tomorrow has nothing good for me. And we become apathetic or worse, suicidal. This verse can be an antidote to that thinking if you meditate on it. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And lastly, number six, consider heaven. Consider the goodness of this design is woven even into the fabric of heaven. There will be no pain, crying, suffering. All we have to look forward to in heaven is more of God, more delight, more goodness beyond what we can even imagine for the next day. You do not know what a day may bring, even in heaven. It's all good, but you still don't know what's coming next. That's what makes any good story. Psalm 1611, in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We were made to boast and brag. Don't shipwreck your faith by boasting in other things outside the Lord. Fear Him. To boast in tomorrow apart from Him is to fail to fear Him in the present. Trust Christ. Live for Him today. Worse than some sinking ship is that titanic loss of a soul who goes to eternity in hell apart from Christ. They wouldn't put their boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, boasting is what we were made for. And boasting in Jesus Christ is what we will do for eternity. Let's pray. Father God, help us to to boast rightly. Thank you for being boast-worthy, Lord. Thank you for being so good, so powerful, so mighty. Father, rid us of the subtle and overt ways that we boast. Forgive us for our, our filthy bragging mouths and actions. Humble us by your word. Lord willing, give us another year to display the truth of this verse to our friends, family, neighbors, all for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.